Welcome to Legal Tea, the podcast we interview lawyers bring beyond corporate law. Each week you hear about their practice area, the work that they do, and the roads they've taken to get there. I'm your host, Max Herberg. Welcome back to another episode. I don't know about you, but to me, January has always been a very long and slow month. It's like coming right off the euphoria of Christmas and New Year's. You now are faced with the long, slow slump where you realize that the next series of holidays ain't coming around till Easter, which is three months away. But rest assured, we have lots of legal brew to keep us uh, company till then. And today's legal brew, which is quite delicious, is all on legal design. This week, we're sitting down with Sarah Wee, a founder of Law But How, a platform where she disseminates design thinking insights for the legal industry and creates training manuals and guides to assist others to do the same, all while she works as a director of commercial at ContractPod AI, a legal tech company. Now, in this episode, we discuss what legal design is, the importance of empathy in the legal industry, and what role legal tech plays within legal design. Now, outside of legal design, we talk about Sarah's own career journey from French qualified in-house counsel to working in a legal tech company and starting up her own legal design business. We also discuss the trials and tribulations and the process of changing careers and pursuing what gives you joy. And finally, we discuss the importance of determining what your value add is as a lawyer and how to build skills and change behaviors to augment that value add. So without further ado, sit back, relax, brew yourself a cuppa and enjoy the show. Good morning, Sarah. Welcome to Legal Tea. How are you doing today? Good morning, Max. I'm doing well, thank you. How are you? I'm doing fantastic. Now, Sarah, we've got a lot to talk about today, and I can't wait to jump in. But before we do, why don't you tell the audience a little bit about yourself? Let's do this. So, uh, where do I start? So, I'm Sarah. Uh, I am a French qualified lawyer. Uh, I've been living in London for the past seven years. Um, and I started my career as an in-house counsel. I became a head of legal in a in a scale-up. Um, and I've pretty much grown my career, uh, my legal career in the UK ever since. Um, back in 2021, I, I've made uh, um, a career move uh, for myself. And I decided that in-house, being an in-house counsel was no longer something I, I, I saw myself doing long-term. So I moved away from that and really... Um, I've dived into two things. So legal technology. Uh, so I do work for Contract Code AI as a director of commercial and really helping legal teams with digital transformation strategy. Uh, and I also run a uh, Lobert Howe, uh, which is um, which is a legal design and a content uh, studio designed to help legal service providers uh, and legal professionals with uh, delivering more user centric experiences and more and more particularly uh, redesigning the way legal information is presented but that's about me it's been a, a bit of a year now so going well growing um uh, but yeah this is pretty much me uh, for the past uh, yeah seven maybe a bit less maybe five six years of my life <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like you're doing two jobs in one how do you yeah just before we kind of venture into each of those careers how do you how do you manage kind of you know doing the legal tech job on one side and then doing the legal design job on the other you know when you've been when you've worked in house everything else feels a lot easier to do. <laughs> <laughs> um and, and that's the beauty of you know like being a a professional a legal professional these days you know like you can be employed somewhere and do something you enjoy and do something else that you enjoy as well that are completely unrelated um i currently 
obviously I have the day job. I currently do um my um love and how activities over the weekends and evenings, lunch times, uh, and so on. Uh, so I kind of manage. Um, but I think again because I've been in house, I really I've built a lot of efficiencies uh, <laughs> in the way I produce things. <laughs> so that helps. Fantastic. So what is legal design? How, how would you define it? For me, it's very simple. It's the application the application of um, what we call in the design world, design thinking or human-centered design in the world of the legal industry. But in the legal industry, you know, we love lab- labels. We love slapping legal everywhere. <laughs> so the legal design is just that, is how do we apply this framework? How do we apply human-centered design in everything we do in the industry? Uh, from the way we deliver information um, to, you know, the, the way we design processes, technology, um, and so on. So it is a problem-solving me- method by design. Um, and it really moves away from the way the legal industry usually solves problems. Um, that is very fact, fact-based as opposed to, you know, human-centered uh, the human doesn't even come into the equation. You know, we have a, a use case, we have the applicable law, we apply the applicable law and you know the case law in, in, into our use case, and we draw some conclusions from it. Um, and that's pretty much the end. That's the journey. Um, so design thinking is a way to uh, problem solve in a very different manner uh, that complements the, the and improve the way we do things in our industry. Yeah, I was going to say, I, I don't think I've seen much kind of legal design, given that, you know, the terms and conditions and privacy policies are are written in such a way that it almost seems counter to what a human likes to read. Fair enough. Yeah. <laughs> so in this kind of human centeredness, um, how would you define empathy? How How do we, you know, think of the human or kind of the end user in the legal industry so empathy is pretty much you know um i guess in the illegal in the legal industry context having empathy means you know trying to understand the person you're problem solving for uh and again for for one particular use case whether you're looking at a, a divorce or whether you're looking at um uh, merger and acquisition in a corporate transaction, who is the end user who benefits from, from that particular service from, from, from a legal professional? For one, imagine for, for one uh, corporate transaction, you might have a first-time entrepreneur who wants to get out of uh, the company and exit as soon as possible because he needs the money or you know, he wants to move on with his life. Or you may have a, a big corporations that does corporate transaction on a daily basis and for it for and for which it doesn't really matter if it's this transaction or, or another they they aren't really emotionally attached so for one corporate transaction you have two two different personas and and that's what empathy is is okay who is it that we are problem solving for what are their challenges what are their constraints you know what is it that what does success what does success look like for them? Um, so empathy is really the art of moving away from our own biases and assumptions and really dive into the research of who we are problem solving for by asking open questions and challenge our um, you know biases formed with experience practice. Um, so that's really, you know, um, setting aside, again, uh, everything that we've known and looking at, you know, really deep into who we are solving the uh, problem solving for. So that's, that would be empathy for me. And so why, you know, distinguishing from the typical approach that the legal industry does, kind of a fact-based, why do you think is it necessary or why do you think it's beneficial for us to adopt kind of legal design and design a human-centered approach to problem solving? It is critical because I believe our 
I quite believe that our the way we 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 deliver services is just broken. You know, it's we see that in other industries that have become much more user centric. You know, you look at Amazon, uh, where at the press of a button you can receive everything you can wish for in in twenty four hours, right? Um, you look at the travel industry, you know, you can book a trip tomorrow and, and, and it's a very smooth and, and, and easy process. And uh, and yet when you, you know, go to, uh, you know, when you go to a, a law firm, <laughs> you get slapped in the face because you just don't get the same type of experience. It's not going to be a 24-hour turnaround. It's, ne- you know, it's not going to be an easy and smooth process. You're bombarded with paperwork and and you receive legal opinions full of legalese. It, it depends. And, um, and, and, and we just haven't changed. Um, we haven't challenged the way we do things so far, really. Um, it is obviously now with technology and the need to do more with less and obviously the need to become much more competitive. I think things are slightly moving, but again, it's driven by necessity. It, it's not driven by a desire to, you know, try do things differently. Um, so I just, that's my personal opinion about why it is so critical. It's not designing a pretty document at all it's you know problem solving the very um systemic issues we have in our own industry and do better and what would you say to the people that would argue that legal design would be a threat to a lawyer's business because it would enable almost if we presented legal information in such an easy way to digest then people wouldn't need to go to lawyers anymore. They could, you know, learn from the first time and yeah, they wouldn't, lawyers wouldn't get as much business. So I think, I mean, for anyone who thinks that, I I would say it's just, it's just time to really think deep about what your value adds truly is uh, for your, for your customer. If, if your value add resides in uh, hacking legal information together, then Google can do that or chat gbt um <laughs> for that matter can do that even better <laughs> you know? uh I, I mean we, we've seen now with the uh a recent um chat gbt you know screens that we see everywhere that you know i mean um packaging legal information based on the question is just something that um a computer can do with obviously you know the, the right scope and so on that's just not where our value add is. Our value add is to really is in the substance, it's in the nuance, it is in the ability to to provide alternatives and 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 apply the law in a particular context to solve a particular problem for someone. Um, it's not in you know looking for what the applicable law is as such, really. Um, so I think and for anyone who might be threatened, and and that's a perfectly normal feeling, I guess, with anything new, it feels. It feels very dangerous at first and until it becomes mainstream and, and, and normal. So that's a normal, natural, defensive mechanism. But I would say, you know, just think deep about what your value add is. I think your value add is in the relationship, is, you know, being able to support your customer in the journey of buying a company or selling a company or going through a divorce and, you know, providing alternatives and providing reassurance. And, you know, it's the human element that no computerized system can can replace and and or, or even duplicate for that matter so almost a sense of kind of tailoring having that tailored service the idea is that kind of you know the legal information is simplified but also you know presented in a way that directly helps your situation or the client situation yeah absolutely you know you're Saving, you know, time, information overload. It's obviously, you know, nice and clear for whoever you're interacting with. Having a, having a, in, in the commercial space, which is really my background, you know, having a, a user-centric contract means having a contract that meets the expectations of your end user. So your, your own clients, but also, you know, the third parties you're contracting with. And it builds a foundational um, a relationship based on trust and, and fairness. And and as a result of that, you help your customers signing faster deals. It's not about protecting 
having a very overprotective approach anymore. It's about you know fostering that culture of trust from you know the sales process all the way to the contracting process. That's really where your value is as a legal professional. And so what would you say to the idea that legal design is all about, you know, creating a better perception lawyers have to non-lawyers, almost democratizing legal information? Oh, it definitely is that. Um, It's not just that, uh, because obviously, you know, there there are many ways of problem solving. Um, Obviously, there is definitely um, an accessibility issue with legal information uh, for anyone outside the, the, the legal industry um, that can, for where obviously, you know, problem solving by design can help, but it goes um, beyond that. And as a result of that, you know, if you can have, you know, engaging, you know, contract information, engaging deliverables, generally speaking, if you can use technology, if you have a smooth process of, of you know, um, uh, generating a request for your customer to quickly seek your help. I mean, you you provide a, an outstanding customer experience overall, which obviously improves the perception that that you know the general public has of legal professionals. Um, so there, there, there definitely is uh, a perception element to it as part of the benefit. And why is it that kind of legal design per se has taken so long to start making a presence in the legal industry? Because design thinking, I imagine, has been around for kind of ages, as you were talking about kind of, you know, the the headways that Amazon made to kind of the shopping experience, you know, this idea of, you know, user interface and user experience are, I guess, long established concepts. Why all of a sudden is it now in the legal industry that are starting to take effect? Um, I think it's been conceptualized for a while. I think, um, you know, Stanford really, I think, were the ones that kind of really started to democratize the discipline and really grab those concepts and package it into the world of of, of, of legal. Uh, the reason why it has, and it is still taking so long, is because everything in our industry takes forever, even technology, you know, like even like basic automation is is just something that um, you know people are still kind of you know into ways oh you know should we do it or do we need this and and why does it matter like even the most basic uh, tech stack uh, uh, is a challenge I mean just even legal technology that the first time I've heard of, of of that was probably I would say maybe two thousand eighteen um, maybe. 2019 um and if it wasn't for covid it wouldn't even have accelerated as much <laughs> you know like <laughs> covid pretty much forced our industry to 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 think more about digital experiences and working remotely and if it wasn't for that maybe it could have been slower so you can imagine for for you know um for, for legal design it's even worse because with legal tech, I guess you can easily demonstrate a return on investment with efficiency building, time saved, you know, money saved. Um, instead of taking three days to generate a contract, you can do that now in five minutes by populating a few fields. Whereas here, it's much more um, systemic, if you will. Um, it's really touching, you know, um, everything we do at, at its core, um, and. It will take time before you know we can start building some um, data, tangible data, that showcase um, um, the, the the need of doing things differently. So yeah, everything takes ages. <laughs> but then, in that case, that's quite interesting. How how do we measure the the benefits or the value add uh, with legal design? Because it sounds is you. Know, can we uh, quantify it or is it something more qualitative? Is it more based on, you know, the relationship management with clients and, and how they perceive kind of the services? No, you you, you definitely can have a, a mix of both. Um, if you take contracts, again, you know, using obviously something I'm, I'm very familiar with, um, something that can be quantified is the turnaround time. So where were you before? Uh, applying those methods, 
and, 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 and where are you now? So before it might, it used to take maybe six months on average with X amount of, t- of back and forth between the parties. Um, and now we've reduced that by 50% because the contract is more, is fairer. It builds a relationship of trust. Uh, it's not overly long-winded or doesn't use, you know, technical jargon that is unnecessary. You know, it's, you know, we you cut the cut the wording, you cut the fluff, you cut the legalese, you, you make things much more um, easier to engage with and interact and ultimately sign as a result. So so that, that would be a quantitative uh, metrics right there, turnaround time um, on average before versus after. And then obviously you have the more qualitative uh, ways of measuring success uh, based on uh, feedback, uh, uh, based on relationship as well. So let's say that, that you know, you've, you're a law firm and, and you recommend, you know, a much more uh, business-friendly way of, of of contracting with counterparties. Your customer, as a result, is very happy because they've seen the ROI. They've seen that since they've started using your firm, they've, they've had templates that um, sign two times faster. As a result of that, they give you repeated business. So, you know, so there are ways to obviously quantify um, quantify it, obviously, and, and, and you should, and you should, because that's how you start building a use case as well. And so then how would you describe the relationship between legal design and and legal technology? Because you indicated that, you know, legal design was almost propagated in part by the need for digital transformation due to the pandemic. So is kind of, you know, is legal tech addressed by legal design? Does, are the needs of legal design addressed by legal tech? I think there's a lot of confusion nowadays with kind of, you know, terms thrown around with legal tech, legal design, legal innovation. So, um, yeah, how would you distinguish the two concepts? So the way I would distinguish, I think um, legal design or design thinking applied to the world of legal is a framework. This is a problem solving method. Um, Whereas technology is uh, a tool. Um, it is a tool to um, that you can use to problem solve as well, um, especially you know removing bottlenecks and. Uh, but it's not really a framework as such. Um, it's it, it is a tool, document automation, contract management. Um, so you use design thinking when you build a tech solution as well, because again, who are your users? Who will be using the solution? How tech savvy are they? What is it that they are expecting? Uh, what are their current pain point challenges and so on? So I would say that you know, legal design is a, is a foundation for good technology, and technology can be used as a way uh, or as a um, as a tool um, to problem solve something that you've identified using the, the legal design framework. Um, if that makes sense, so I think so that's. So essentially kind of legal tech is more kind of the tool, whereas kind of um, legal design is more kind of the process or the the ideology. Absolutely. And so how does then one educate themselves in in legal design? One of the things I I love uh, about kind of, you know, your your kind of legal design teachings are the um, posts that you make and kind of how you present or information. There's one, where did you learn that? Like, is there kind of, is there, is there a book? Is there a course or how does, yeah. How does a lawyer who wants to kind of change um, their kind of approach to problem solving to have a more human centered approach, how do they educate themselves in legal design? So, um, um, there are a few resources. So, so personally, I mean, for me, I've been obviously self-taught uh, a lot in the beginning. I didn't know what legal design is. I just thought, you know what, I mean, I just cannot train my business people the way we currently train them. This is awful. It doesn't work. So I've just been very iterative in the way I was doing things. And without realizing, I was obviously applying an element of uh, design thinking. So I was thinking about my users. I was thinking about, you know, um, um, what there was, the things they were struggling with and I was trying to problem solve for them. So that's how how it, it started for me. And then and then obviously I, I just you know, started to 
train myself, uh, you know, using uh, all sorts of resources online. Um, I sign up to, uh, I love visual design particularly. So I signed up to a graphic design school. Um, I made a point of really trying to be trained by people who aren't necessarily biased. Mm. Um, so, so I really wanted to 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 train uh, with uh, really to designers. So I signed up uh, to a graphic design school for visual design principle. There is the Interaction Design Foundation. Uh, that is absolutely amazing. We have tons of uh, courses um, about you know, design thinking, interaction interaction design, like all sorts of you know, user experience, like all sorts of uh, design-related uh, uh, disciplines that, although not linked to legal, can really be translated into, you know, legal use cases. So, so I definitely recommend the Interaction Design Foundation. And then you have a, a more legal uh, industry-based um, community as well. Uh, you've got the, the Legal Creative by Tessa Manuelo. You've got the uh, Legal Design Book uh, as well uh, from uh, from Astrid in Germany and uh, Mira. Um, that, uh, that is a wonderful resource as well. Um, so these are on top of my head, you know, the, the, the sources um, I would look for really. Uh, so more design uh, or resources from the design uh, industry. And then more, obviously, uh, legal uh, specific resources that you can use as well. And so talk to us a little bit more about what got you into, into legal design. So you were talking about kind of, I'm guessing this was experience back when you were working in-house. And so you were kind of frustrated at, you know, training kind of business people or the way things were done. Do you mind kind of going into a bit more detail on that? 100%. Yeah, I, I was frustrated. And I think it was... There, there was an element of empathy, but there was also an element of selfishness in the sense that I, I, the perception that legal teams had was, I mean, I just found it unacceptable because I, in my mind, I didn't go to law school to be labeled as a cost center, as a business prevention team, as a deal breaker department. You know, that's just... That isn't what I went to law school for. Right? <laughs> it's not, not not nice to hear kind of walking in every day in the office and feel like, ah, this is somebody who's going to bust their business. Yeah, no, absolutely. Hey, here is the business prevention team again. <laughs> Actually, you know, like, I mean, and, and I'm pretty sure, you know, no one who goes in-house, you know, goes for that as well. <laughs> so it was a bit of a disappointment when I started to work in-house. So so that was the more, the, if you will, the selfish element Um and, and and but also, uh, instead of you know just kind of observing it, I thought, okay, why? Like, why is it that we are just labeled like that? So you know, so you start thinking, you start observing what's going on, and and, and actually, you understand. You're like, you know what? Fair enough. We always say no. We always say it depends. Like, it's never clear cut. Um, we spend hours of our lives pointing problems without really providing it any <laughs> useful solution you know oh well it depends on what you want to achieve if you want x then y if you want z then but you know like we aren't necessarily proactive so what is it that we can do to change that so that was my original observations that then translated into okay how can i just do things differently because clearly something has to change and um and for me it all started with obviously becoming very commercially aware and minded um so really understand you know what's the angle what is it that you're trying to achieve you know you want this contract time tomorrow then go for it let's you know look at the risks and look at the reward and if you're happy with that, you know, let's move forward to, you know, tomorrow. So let's not be a, a blocker, right? Uh, so you start kind of shifting um, the way you work and then the way we were presenting ourselves as well. So again, um, the way we were training. So, okay, I, we will never, our business people will never become law students. That's not the aim. They, they don't need to know the law for that matter. They might never even need to read a contract anyway. Like, it's our job to do contracts that match the company standard. Their job is to take the right templates, 
and send it over the end. And obviously, know <laughs> what they have to deliver, right? But so what is so what can we do to facilitate that? You know, instead of trying to say, oh, be mindful, the limitation of liability is this, and they will switch off after five minutes anyway. So so you know, I was trying to kind of build things in, in a very different way and really trying to focus on what, what is in there for them, what matters to them. Instead of explaining, you know, what is an MS, MSA at length and or what is the LOI or what is the SOW or, you know, I was trying to just keep it to the basics. Look, you know, if you have the situation, use this contract. If you have the situation, use this contract. You know, you don't need to know any more than this at this stage, you know. So, so I've, I've tried to really come up with um, different ways of working. And of course, it doesn't always work. Sometimes it's another failure, but that's okay. It's the bottom line being that, you know, we have to let go of this perfectionism mindset that we have ingrained in us and be more bold and, and iterative in the way we do things. And certain things will not work and that's fine. But equally, they, when we try um adjust our way of working and thinking, we also discover uh, new ways of, of doing things. And ultimately, um, we've, we build we build better relationships and we change the perception. And do you think this only applies to kind of lawyers that operate in-house? Or do you think this is an equally as important lesson for lawyers working in private practice? Oh, it, it is equally important. Uh, again, um, speaking of my own experience with law firms, I've had everything. I've had the best experiences with, you know, law firms that were very commercial, um, you know, straight to the point, you know, reasonably priced, um, especially when obviously we don't have unlimited budgets. And on the other hand, I had, you know, really questionable uh, practices in, in certain firms um and i think again you know it's um and, and and obviously it's not always yeah i think obviously we have a fear of change we you know we fear the unknown i guess and 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 we just tend to be a bit very protective with everything you do uh we do we do but again all it takes is you know asking questions and be open to criticism and constructive feedback and being willing to to do what it takes to change that. And so then, you know, on your journey is to, you know, reconceptualize, you know, how you kind of presented yourself, how the legal team presented itself to kind of the business function and change kind of, you know, communicating ideas and information. What led you then to decide, you know, I'm no longer going to work in-house and I'm going to transition into kind of legal tech and, you know, also start up my own legal design kind of business. So it was pretty obvious to me when that I was no longer going to be in-house when first I burnt out. So that was pretty ugly. (laughs) (laughs) So that was really early. I yeah, it, it was a really dark period of my life where I absolutely loved my job. Um, but you know, with anything that you love, too good of it is uh, too much of it isn't good. You know, it's all about balance. And yeah. uh, and and the reality is, in house is you know, people think you know they leave private practice, they go they go in house to rest and and have a more balanced life and that that just isn't that doesn't happen because yes you don't bear by the by the hour but you know you are um a cost center as far as the business is concerned and you have to get things done according to their timelines not not yours so it's another set of challenges that come that come your way and and we just i was just in a situation where i just had too much going on and and therefore i would pull you know I would work extremely hard every day. Not only I would do long hours, it would be long, intensive hours every single day. And the pandemic was there as well. So obviously you can't go out, you can't switch off, you're home anyway. So, I mean, let's, you know, let's get things done. And, um, 
and I was just burning out without realizing. So that was a bit ugly, but I loved my job. It was, you know, I've learned so much from it. Um, but I think, you know, at the time I thought, okay, let's apply for another job. May, you know, maybe I, I just need to change. I, I need to, you know, be in another organization, you know, just, you know, be in house elsewhere. And then the realization really kicked in when I applied for very senior roles with really high salaries, a lot higher than one I was on at the time. And the, the you know, the, um, how do you call it? Um, the excitement yeah. was, I wasn't excited. You know, I just couldn't see myself rolling, rolling up my sleeves all over again, go and build, either build the legal team from scratch or, you know, being part of the senior leadership and of an existing legal function and build a region and so on. Like, I just, yeah, I I just couldn't see it. Um, I wasn't excited. So, yes, there were really great roles, you know, great opportunities. But when I, start, when I saw that I wasn't excited, I, I thought, okay, something is off here. <laughs> At the same time, uh, I was uh, creating content on social media and uh, obviously contract pod. Uh, so Jerry from contract pod reached out and, and you know, he, he suggested the role. And I was like, you know what? I think I, I, I love problem solving in the legal industry as opposed to practicing the law. That's, that's more something I like. And, um, and this is the things I do now. And um, yeah, so it's a, it took self-awareness and uh, I had to look at myself in the mirror and be like, okay, you know, you, yeah, you just have to give it a go and, and, and make the hard decision to, to quit in house, although you've built so many great things over, over the last few years, it's worth a try because clearly you're no longer uh, fueled, you know, you don't have the fuel anymore to continue. So, but yeah, so that's why I left. And did you feel that kind of jump scary, kind of, you know, starting afresh? Oh, yeah, it is. It is super scary. You know, it, it's counterintuitive. You have the society stigma as well, right? Um, you know, the, the logical step for me was to continue, become a, an associate general counsel and then a GC, you know, and uh, that was a logical, natural path for me. So it definitely was scary. It was counterintuitive. I, financially, it wasn't making sense either because I could have earned much more money, you know, by continuing in-house. So I had all the odds against me, if you will, <laughs> in terms <laughs> of, you know, what's the what's the right path to to, to pursue um but honestly i think no amount of money can buy the joy you know and the the impact and the you know the sense of fulfillment that i have today and so what does your day-to-day look like nowadays in comparison to to when you were uh in-house i enjoy it it doesn't feel like work to be honest you know whether at contract pods you know where you know they have a the team is great they have a great product and and you know they you know i i just love you know problem solving with them um and um, helping you know legal teams with uh, you know strategy of implementation and so on so it doesn't feel like work you know i'm i'm advising my my peers the people i know very well because i've done their jobs i know what it's like to to change legal function to scale and to you know, uh, roll out technology, it's hard. It's not a, a walk in the park, but I love sharing my own journey with them and be like, you know, look, you know, take it easy one step at a time, you know, and like, it, it doesn't feel like work. Um, and same for the things I do for, for Lo But How, it's, um, I just love it. I just love helping legal teams, you know, opening up their mindset and, build up new ways of thinking and working uh, with legal design. I love helping legal professionals building up their profile on social media the same way I did, you know? So it's a mixed bag of the things I enjoy doing. And and it, again, doesn't feel like work at all. And what's been the highlight moment on the job so far? 
um in terms of career achievement or per i mean it can be career achievement or kind of personally um i mean you know we were talking about just before you know that no money no amount of money in the world can can buy kind of the joy of the work so i think more importantly what's a moment that you hold very special or that gave you kind of an immense amount of joy on the job so far um i think in terms of highlights so a few perhaps um first not not looking back there is no in the beginning i i i did look back and in the beginning i i wasn't sure i was like what the hell am i doing maybe i'm completely <laughs> wrong here and you know like but i thought okay no matter what it's, it's worth trying and now obviously it's been uh, almost two years it's been a year and a half so first not regretting it is um is probably one of my biggest highlights you know thinking you know what it's not easy every day don't get me wrong but it, it it's entirely worth it two um you know being able to acknowledge that you know self-awareness is so important um i've changed so much and i'm much more aligned with you know the deep version of myself that i keep discovering every day and uh, i've changed so much um in with everything you know with the way i look at things with the way i do business i'm much more confident uh, i'm a much more confident person generally speaking you know i used to charge extremely low in the beginning so one of the biggest highlights on that is being able to charge high and be unapologetic about it <laughs> i'm a one-man shop and so on does that mean i should be charging you 500 bucks absolutely not you know yeah so so you know so that change of mindsets having impact as well you know um so for example for social media you know seeing my clients getting clients themselves on social building up their own signature content you know, driving change in their practice area on LinkedIn, you know. So so seeing those results, seeing those aha moments when I run workshops and having in-house lawyers saying, oh, you know what, I was so insightful. I never looked at, you know, a contract or this way or, or I never th thought I could problem solve this way and it feels so liberating. So all of those are highlights. Client results, making money, you know, um, I've had a couple of really particular milestones on the money side as well. I've made my first five-figure month. Hey, congratulations. Yeah, thank you. So, and, and as I always say, my first deal was 500 bucks and I had the audacity to lose money on it as well. <laughs> you know, not only I charged low, I also lost money. <laughs> so that's how, where I started, you know. So... And I would have never thought that possible in a million years. So, yeah, <laughs> definitely uh, another highlight for me. <laughs> and so what would you say then kind of, you know, reflecting on, on, your, on your switch, what are the skills or what legal design skills should every lawyer have? Um, in order to... And build a successful career do you mean or yeah sorry I'm, i probably i've probably butchered the question i guess the the importance of kind of we've been talking about the importance of, of legal design both in terms of you know improving relationships with clients but also improving our value add to clients so is you know what kind of tangible actions or, or changes can lawyers make to be more aligned with the principles of legal design I know it's, it's systemic change is what really brings it about. But, you know, lawyers kind of like you and me, what are things that we can do or skills that we can try and practice, which will help us kind of deliver that value add? Yeah, no, absolutely. So I understand. I would say, um, so first, um, you know, speak to people, especially obviously your clients. Speak to your clients on a very on a regular basis beyond the you know beyond the, the the day job that you do for them try to really set uh, you know 15 minutes 
20 minutes, half an hour catch-ups with them, you know, hey, how is it going? And, you know, what's going on in your life? And, you know, like try to ask questions again to get a better understanding of who they are, what they want to achieve, what does success look like for them? What is it that they're struggling with? You know, if they had the magic ones, what would they change tomorrow? And, and you know, and, and, and how you can help them. So ask a lot of questions, number one. Number two, ask for feedback. You know, be open to... So criticism isn't a rejection. You know, having... We can all improve. And um, I think it's important to be continuously asking for feedback. You've delivered this contract today. Okay, how did it go with, you know, the, the counterparty? You know, how far, how long did it take to, to sign? Were you happy with this outcome? Um what what could we have done differently on this negotiation? So you know, cons- again, going back to asking questions, and so these these are concrete, practical steps that you can take. So be open, curious, ask for feedback. Number two, um, don't hesitate. Um, you know, do one 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 percent more or different every day. Um, I think this is very important to understand that transformation is never aha moments. It's a, it's a succession of multiple steps put together that ultimately accumulated over a long period of time drive in, impact and change. That's what, that's what transformation is. So do one thing different every day. Um, one percent you know how how it doesn't matter how trivial that is you know so let's say again practically i don't know you are a commercial lawyer and you always ask pretty much similar questions to your to your uh, uh, customers before issuing a contract well instead of you know writing this email down every single day is there a better way of doing it could you maybe save this list of questions as a template in Outlook, and then send this list, as opposed to, you know, type things out every single time, you know, is there a particular pattern? So, and again, it may sound very trivial, but the minute you start doing it, is the minute you start looking for ways to improve things. And that's what drives transformation over a sustainable amount of time. So do 1% more or different every day uh, would be number two. So ask for feedback, ask questions, you know, be open to um, try and experiment even and, and do that and do, do that incrementally. Um, another th- number three, upskill. Um, you know, again, I mean, I've mentioned the Interaction Design Foundation. I think it's a wonderful, they have masterclasses and a lot, a lot of them are free. Um, so, you know, really upskill. Um, and really, and start with the things that you're interested in, obviously, you know, um, what is it that you would like to learn about? Is it project management? Do you like, you know, visual design, you know, le- you know, be open to learn and, and experiment. Um, so upskill, um, try tools. I love tools. Um, I love trying, you know, no code platform, you know, where you can, you know, do things differently. So again, you know, um, and, and, and that's how I love learning as well. So explore the tools you currently have and see if you can do things in different ways or, you know, try to look for new tools that you could start using and, and playing around. Um, and um, I guess the last thing would be to document that journey. You know, uh, there, will, there will never be such thing as, you know, being the perfect version of yourself. You know, we are uh, a living prototype that keeps <laughs> getting better and also older over time. <laughs> and, uh, um, so, you know, really uh, yeah, document that journey, you know, share share your story, you know, document that on you know social media, you know, try to learn from others, network. You can't just, you don't have to always go on the internet. You can also learn from peers. Uh, and share your wins and uh, and and your lessons learned and uh, and enjoy the ride. I guess would be the the, the final comment. So we've talked kind of you know legal design. We've talked the inspirational. 
here at Legal Tea, Sarah, we like to end things on a lighthearted note. So I want to know from you, who's your favorite dramatized legal character in a TV or movie and why? Um, God, this one is... You know what? I, I hesitate between Mike Ross and Harvey Specter. <laughs> it's always, you know, one of the two. Um, I'm going to go for Harvey. <laughs> I'm going to go for Harvey. Because, you know what, he is... <laughs> He is such um he's such a cliche. You know? <laughs> like he's a an accumulation of you know some of the things that we despise in our industry, you know, the arrogance and and at the same time, there's something about about him that you almost like and aspire to because you know what you're like, I wish I had that confidence as well. <laughs> You know, <laughs> so, yeah, he's definitely, yeah, maybe Harvey Specter. <laughs> ah, interesting. So, Sarah, thank you so much for coming on. If any of our guests have any follow up questions, can they reach out to you? And if so, how? Yeah, uh, LinkedIn. In LinkedIn is my is my second home, as my husband <laughs> calls it. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> You're home away from home. Absolutely. <laughs> Fantastic. Thank you so much for coming on, Sarah. Thank you so much, Max. You're welcome. Well, that's the show, folks. If you enjoyed learning about legal design and want to know more, feel free to reach out to Sarah. We've linked her LinkedIn profile in the show notes below. Enjoying our exquisite brew? Have a knack for social media marketing or podcast editing? And are an avid tea drinker? Come work with us on Legal Tea. Send us an email at hello at legalt.uk or DM us on our social media platforms at legalt.uk for more information. Till next time.